Morning, Keystone. How are we doing this morning? Uh, you can open up your Bibles to Genesis uh, if you want to. We're going to be starting a new series this morning on Genesis chapters 1 through 11. Uh, and we'll be in those chapters uh, for 12 weeks, uh, spending really the, the first half of those 12 weeks just in chapters 1 through 3. Uh, th- there is a lot that we could cover in Genesis 1 through 11, especially in Genesis 1 through 3. Uh, and so we're definitely not going to hit at everything, but, but hopefully cover some of the, the important things we find in these chapters. Uh, in Genesis 1 through 11, we, we find the beginning of the story of the Bible. Uh, and our goal for this series is in looking at this story, including the individual stories that are a part of it, that, that we might find a story that helps to make sense of the story of our own lives as well. That's why the the title of this series is called The the Story of Your Life. Because in the beginning, we find the story of life in general, the story of God, the story of what he's done, and and ultimately find in there our place in what he's done and what he is doing. Uh, Daryl Johnson wrote a book on Genesis 1 through 11, and he titled it The Story That Makes Sense of Our Stories. And in it, he said these words. He said, all of us, children parents and grandparents need stories that help us to know who we are, where we are, and how we are to be who we are, where we are. It's kind of a mouthful. Who we are, where we are, and how we are to be who we are, where we are. This is part of the reason it seems to me we in the so-called West are presently a people adrift, we no longer have a compelling story to tell each other and to pass on to the next generations. See, we, we need a story that will anchor us, uh, a story that will help to make sense of our lives. Or, or really another way to put that is we need a story that helps to answer some of the big questions we all ask, whether consciously or just subconsciously. Questions like, Who am I? Why am I here? What's the point of my life? Why why is there something, this world, rather than nothing? Why why is this world so full of beauty and goodness? And why is it also so full of pain and brokenness and hurt? Like, what's what's wrong with the world? Is there any way to fix it? Where's this headed? Is is there a future? We, we need a story that helps to answer those questions for us. And we all have a story, whether we realize it or not. And, and Genesis 1 through 11, and really Christianity and the Bible as a whole, is a story, a true story that gives us answers to those questions, that helps us to make sense of our own lives and everything in them. And this morning we're going to start just in the very beginning. We'll only be in verses 1 and 2 this morning. Uh, don't worry, we'll speed up in the coming weeks. We're not going to take two verses at a time. But to start out, we're just going to look at the first two verses. Because the, the reality is that beginnings are really important. In, in part, because beginnings tend to be very memorable. Let, let me read you just a couple beginnings and see if you can pick out what they're from. It was the best of times, and it was the worst of times. Anyone know which that, what that is? Uh, It's Tale of Two Cities by Charles Dickens. Probably heard that before, even if you don't know what the the story is. Call Me Ishmael. It's Moby Dick by Herman Melville. It is a truth universally acknowledged that a single man in possession of a good fortune, 
fortune must be in want of a wife. It's Pride and Prejudice by Jane Austen. I'll give, you a, I'll give you an easy one if you didn't get those. In a hole in a ground there lived a hobbit. You should hopefully know that one. It's The, the Hobbit by J.R.R. Tolkien. Mr. and Mrs. Dursley of number four, Privet Drive, were proud to say that they were perfectly normal. Thank you very much. It's a more recent one. That's the beginning of the, the Harry Potter series. Or, excuse me, could you tell me how to get to the medical school? I'm supposed to be doing a lecture in about 20 minutes, and my driver is a bit lost. That's the beginning of Dumb and Dumber, of course. Modern classic, right? <laughs> Maybe you don't know that one. Beginnings are often very memorable, though, right? They stick out. And there's perhaps no more memorable beginning than this. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. But, but beginnings are not just important because they might be memorable and stick in our minds. Beginnings are also important because they set the course for everything else. If you get the beginning right, you're far more likely to get other things right along the way. But if you get the beginning wrong, you're far more likely to get other things wrong all along the way. You've likely experienced this even in your own life, where where maybe you've done a a project around your house, or or you're putting together a piece of furniture or something else, and you get the first step wrong. And then about 10 steps later, you realize, wait a second, something's off here. And you go back and you realize every single step was wrong because you started in the wrong place. That's the story of me and Ikea furniture every single time. Or or maybe you put on a a shirt in the morning that has buttons on it and you button it up and and you get to the top and and there's one button that's missing. And you start to think, well, what's wrong with this shirt? I I need to call Banana Republic and and report to someone. Like they're screwing up. And and then you go down and you realize, oh, oh, no, I started with the wrong button and everything along the way got messed up. See, to begin correctly goes a long way for getting everything else right as we go along. But to begin in the wrong way often means we'll get everything else wrong as we go along. The the same thing is true of the Bible and and ultimately the story of our lives. That that so often we get off track in our lives or we make a mess of things or we feel like everything's falling apart because we ignore or dismiss or forget the beginning. But, but when we get the beginning correct, when we get the start of the story right, when we understand it in its right place and right way, that, then it can have an impact on shaping everything else in our lives as well. And, and so this morning, here's what we see in these first two verses ultimately. The most important part of the story is God. The most important part of the story is God. That's the big idea for it this morning. The most important part of the story of the Bible the most important part of the story of history, the most important part of the story of this world, the most important part of the story of your life, every single story, the most important part is God. And if we get that wrong, we'll likely get everything else wrong as well. If we get that right, everything else will start to fall in place better in our lives. So let's read it in Genesis 1, 1 through 2, and then talk about these verses. We'll pull in some other verses as well, but we're mainly just going to focus on 1 and 2 this morning. Let me pray for us before we do. Father, we believe that you alone are God. You alone made the heavens and the earth. You alone spoke and existence came into existence. God, you are awesome. We want to worship you this morning. We want our lives to be reoriented around you. We want you to speak 
Just as you spoke at the beginning, we want you to speak now. We believe that you continue to speak through your word. And so God, we pray that, that as we look at these verses, you'd magnify yourself, glorify yourself. You'd help us to, to in the next 40 minutes, and as we walk out these doors, say, how great is our God? How great is our God? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. The first thing we might draw out just from these verses is this truth. God is the author of the story. God is the author of the story. In Genesis 1.1, we read, in the beginning, and we might stop and ask, well, what, what is this the beginning of? Well, it's the beginning of the, the story of the Bible, like we said. It, it's the beginning of time and space. It's the beginning of the story of this world and the universe. It, it's the beginning of the story of history. It's the beginning of the story of life, including your life. It's the beginning of everything except God. Because we read, in the beginning, God. That the Bible just opens up and says, here's this God. He has no beginning and no end. He, he is ultimate reality from which all other reality flows from. He, he is ultimate existence from which all other existence finds itself. He is ultimate being. Every other being flows from him, comes from him. This God is the author. He's at the center of everything. Right? It, this is the way that we put it this morning. He's the author of the story. The, the beginning tells us there is an author. We might think of it this way, but when you open up a book to read it and you read the first sentence in that book, you, you instinctively believe, I instinctively believe that there is an author who has written this book, who has planned it in advance, who has thought about it, who has come up with the idea, who has put pen to paper writing words, sentences, paragraphs, chapters, organizing it, pulling it together. And that that's ultimately why we then hold a book in our hands. That, that's what we believe, Christians believe, about the existence of the world and the existence of our lives. That we exist, that the world exists because there is an author who has created it, spoken it into existence. He, Hebrews 11.3 says, by faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. Now, maybe you're, you're someone who's here this morning and say, that's why I'm not a Christian, because I don't have that faith, because I don't have the type of faith to, to make that leap to say that something came from this God who I can't see. I, I don't have that faith. And, and, and if you, you are, that would be you. And what you would say, then I would just press and say, you should recognize that you believe something else about this world, about your existence, about everything that, that I think is harder to believe than the story that Christianity gives to us. That, that in some way, if there is no God, no author, then ultimately we are left to believe something. In fact, everything came from nothing at all. That, that like a book that just pops into existence out of nowhere. We're left to believe that this world and all there is popped into existence out of nothing and, and no one. 
Here's how R.C. Sproul puts it kind of memorably. He says, nothing can create itself. Nothing can do nothing. When people argue about creation and I say to them, do you believe that anything exists now? Do you exist now? Is there anything here? Ladies and gentlemen, if, if anything exists now, if this is elementary, he says, then there never could have been a time there was nothing. So there always had to be something, something that had the very power of being within itself or nothing could possibly be. If the equation is God or chance, the only possible solution, ladies and gentlemen, is God because chance can do nothing. Or, or here's, how, here's how Albert Einstein put it when he was asked, do you believe in God? Granted, I don't think Albert Einstein was a Christian, but, but he said, I, I'm not an atheist. The problem involved is far too vast for our limited minds. We are in the position of a little child entering a huge library filled with books in many languages. The child knows someone must have written those books. So when we look at the world, when we look at the universe, when we look at the, our lives, the, the, the Christian concludes someone must be behind this all. There must be some author. This tells us there's someone who wrote this, spoke this into existence, who's behind it all. And the Bible proposes to introduce us to who that author is throughout its pages. We're going to talk more next week about what creation reveals about this author. But for now, I just want to point this out for us. That the greatest author in the history of the world the one who's written the universe, spoken the universe into existence, is also the author who is writing, really in many ways, has already written the story of your life. The one who's behind every detail and part of it. Psalm, Psalm 139 is this famous chapter in the Bible that talks about God forming us in the womb, knowing us before we were born. And it goes on in verse 16 to say these words, in your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. That your story is written by this greatest author in the history of the world. Now just stop and reflect on that with me for a moment. If you could choose any person to write the story of your life, any person to write out what your story would be, who would you choose to write that story? Would you choose John Grisham? You want to be, uh, your life wants to be a a courthouse thriller, maybe? Would you choose J.K. Rowling? You want a little magic in your life? Would you choose J.R.R. Tolkien? You like trolls and dragons and you want those in your life? Would would you choose Charles Dickens? Would you choose uh, C.S. Lewis? Narnia sounds pretty good. Like, would you choose uh, Mark Twain, James Patterson? Dr. Seuss, you want your life to rhyme bit by bit? Like, who would you choose? I'll take the eternal, all-powerful, infinitely wise, perfectly good, perfect in love God every single time over any of those authors. See, the Bible would tell us from the start, your life and my life is part of the greatest story written by the greatest author in the history of the world. Like that doesn't excite us, it should. It should. 
Or you're, you're, you're not by accident. You're not by chance. Your life is not just some random thing. No, it's written by God. It's part of his greater story, which leads to the, the second thing here. The beginning tells us that our lives are part of a bigger story. Our, our lives are meant to fit into and be understood and be made sense of according to the bigger story that God has written in his writing. In, in other words, the story he gives us in the Bible that helps us to make sense of life and, and our lives and everything in them. R- right now, uh, my, my son loves to play with puzzles. So we do a lot of puzzles in our house. Uh, we're not at like 500 piecers yet. Uh, we, we've hit 60 piece puzzles. That's kind of our max, mainly because of my limitations, not his. Uh, but, but when we do a puzzle, we put the pieces onto the coffee table. And then we immediately take the picture that's on the front of the puzzle or the picture we're given and put it to the side. Because what we're trying to do is we're trying to take every piece and fit it in its proper place according to that bigger picture that we're given. That every single piece makes sense, fits in light of whatever that bigger picture is. The the same reality is true of our lives as a whole and every part of our lives. That, that they fit and they make sense and we're meant to understand them in light of the larger story God is writing and has written in the Bible. Like this means, if you want to know who you are, you go to the Bible. You want to know, why am I here? You, you go to the Bible. You want to know what, what is going on in my life? What, what, what am I supposed to do with this? Wonder? You go to the Bible. You want to know, what, what's the point of me continuing to live and breathe day by day by day? You, you go back to the Bible to understand the story that God has written in order to understand ourselves and why we're here and, and what he means for us. This, again, is, I think, one of the problems of denying God's existence. Because if you do, and there is no author, then there is no greater story. If there is no author, there is no greater story that's being written or being told in the midst of this world. Now, we should recognize, in our cultural moment, that's presented as a good thing that that's actually liberating, or that's how it's presented, right? Where it's presented as, there is no God, there is no greater author, there is no greater story. You, you alone are the author. You alone are the one who has to choose who you are. You alone are the one who has to decide what the meaning of your life should be. You alone are the one who chooses what purpose you have in this world. You alone write the story of your life because there is no greater story. Sounds freeing, sounds liberating. But it's not because it's just imagination if there's no greater story. It doesn't matter in the end if there's no greater story. I I think about going back to the puzzle idea. If I gave my son 60 puzzle pieces and told him, hey, these uh, don't fit together in any way at all. There's no bigger picture. These don't fit together. There's no point behind them all. But, Oliver, you are free to put them together however you want. I can guarantee that's not going to be freeing to him. That's going to be frustrating to him. I give him a minute before he gets frustrated because the pieces don't fit together. And even if they do, they they don't make sense. There's no picture. They're they're just mushed together. It just feels like a mess. Maybe that's part of why there's so much confusion, so much anxiety, so much fear, so, so much uncertainty in our own time is because we've lost the fact that our lives are part of a bigger story 
that we've bought into the lie of thinking it's better for me to write my own story than it is to find the greater story that our God is telling and live in light of that. I, I think the reality is if, if God does not exist, the words spoken by Macbeth are correct. And you've probably heard these even if you've never read Macbeth. Life's but a walking shadow, a poor player that struts and frets his hour upon the stage and then is heard no more. It is a tale told by an idiot, full of sound and fury, signifying nothing. But if God does exist, which we believe he does because of the world, because of the Bible, because of all he's revealed to us, then your life is part of a bigger story, being told by an infinitely wise, infinitely good, loving, all-powerful God who rules over every single part of your story. The more we immerse ourselves in God's story, the more we understand who we are, why we're here, what our purpose in life is. And the more that we drift away from God's story, the more our lives start to get confused and, and we start to feel like, what, what, what does this matter? What's the point? Why am I living? The, the second thing that we might see is this. God is the director of the story. In, in verse two, we find these words. The earth was without form and void and darkness was over the face of the deep and the spirit of God was hovering over the face of the of the waters. What we, what we find in verse 2 is that it zooms in onto planet Earth, onto this little ball in the midst of all the planets in our galaxy and all the galaxies in the universe and tells us God singles out this one little ball to tell the greatest story in history, the story of redemption. But before he does, the, the stage has to be set. Because what we read here is the, the earth as it's originally created is without form. It needs to be formed. It, it, it's void. It, it has no life or beauty. It, it's dark and it's covered over with water. But God is on the scene preparing to direct the world according to his purposes. Maybe you picture like a blank blob of clay just waiting for the potter to pick it up and start to form it that God's going to take this world like we find next week and form it according to his purposes. That he's going to pay attention to every detail. He's going to speak to it and it's going to follow his directions. That he's going to do with it what he pleases because he's the creator and he can do whatever he wants. Or, or, or maybe in light of the idea of a story, maybe you picture a movie director. The, the director says where things should go and that's where they go. The director says how a scene should play out, and that's how it plays out. The director says what the actors should do, and that's what they do. This is what God does with the earth. He speaks, and it just listens. He gets to call the shots. And the exact same thing is meant to be true of our lives as well. See, the, the director gets to call the shots. That just as God gets to tell the world how it should be, God gets to tell us how we should be and how we should live. So why? Because he's the creator. Because he made us. Because we belong to him. We, we tend to grind against that at times. So we tend to push back against that. And it, it tends to offend us maybe even like, what? What right does God have to tell me how I should live and what I should do in every single circumstance of my life? Who is he? Why does he get to tell me that? God says the exact opposite to us in the Bible. 
says, Kyle, who are you that you should tell me how I should operate? In Isaiah 29, 16, he says this, says, you turn things upside down. Shall the potter be regarded as clay? That the thing made should say of its maker, he did not make me. Or the thing formed say of him who formed it, he has no understanding. So we are are the clay, God is the potter. We, we We are the actors, God is the director. God gets to tell us, here's what it means to be human. God gets to tell us, here, here's what marriage is. God gets to tell us, here's what it means to be male and female. God gets to tell us, here's what you should do with your money. God gets to tell us, here's how you should live every single day. God gets to tell us, this is who you are. This is how you should be. This is how you should live. And, and don't miss, that's not to make us miserable. When God tells the world how it should be, what happens? Life, light, beauty all appear. God commands us not to make us miserable. He, he commands us, he directs our lives so that we might ultimately flourish in this life. Don't, don't miss that. Don't miss that because it's so easy to think God's commands are keeping me back from what is good and from life. And it's the exact opposite. He tells us how we should live because he knows what's best. He's, he's the designer. He has it all worked out, and he's the right to tell us. And here's the second thing we might see with this. The director is present, active, and intricately involved. Genesis 1-2 says the Spirit of God is hovering over the face of the deep. In the beginning, we we see it's the triune God who creates. The the Father, the Spirit, and later we'll see that the Son is present in this scene as well. The the other place that this word hover is used, or one of the other places, is Deuteronomy 32-11. And it talks about an eagle hovering over her nest with her young. Here's what it says. Like an eagle that stirs up its nest, that flutters over its young, spreading out its wings, catching them, bearing them on its pinions. Flutter is the same word for hover there. Like an eagle who's paying attention, caring for its young, intricately involved. That's how God was at creation. Hovering over, intricately involved, just ready to operate and work and move things according to his plan. Again, we might picture like an expert potter and think about the type of care and detail a potter puts into each piece of work, smoothing out the rough edges, making the bumps fit just right, putting everything in its place, putting all sorts of care and detail and and work into each piece. That's the image we get of God at creation. That's also the image that you and I should have of him in our life right now. I want to ask a couple questions here and just think about how you respond to these gut reaction. Do do you believe God was more present and active in the creation of the world than he is in your life right now in this moment? Do you believe he was more present, more active as he's creating the world than he is right now in this moment in your life with us right here, right now? Do, Do you believe God was working back then but today he, he's no longer working, or, or at least maybe just sometimes, but not all the time. Do, do you believe in a God who was on the scene back then, directing things according to his purposes, but now just kind of stands back and watches how things go? Unless things get bad, then he steps in. Do, do you believe in a God who made creation with incredibly intric- intricate attention to detail, but now who just doesn't really care about the details of your life? 
including the really small details. Because that's not the, the God of the Bible. That's not the God we believe in as Christians. The, the Bible teaches us the same God who created the world is the God who is present right now in this moment with us. That the same spirit who was hovering over the waters to form creation according to his purposes is the same spirit who lives inside of you if you're a follower of Christ. That the same God who was working back then is the God who we believe in and know today. The same attention to detail he had in the beginning is the same attention of detail he has in your life. Nothing is accidental or without purpose or not part of his plan. That the same care he had for creation is the same care he has for you. He's not out to get you and make you miserable. He, he wants you to flourish under his care. That the same God who worked in amazing ways at creation is the God who's working in our lives right now to guide everything, everything according to his plans. Like, can you see that? Can you believe that? Where in your life do you most need to be reminded of that? Right now. That God's not absent. He's not distant. He's not uninvolved. He is present, active, and intricately involved in every single part of your life. The the third thing that we might see is this. God is the main point of the story. Who's the subject of the first sentence in the Bible? The same person who's the subject of the entire story of the Bible. Derek Kidner tells us it's no accident that God is the subject of the first sentence of the Bible for this word dominates the whole chapter and catches the eye at every point of the page. It is used some 35 times in as many verses of the story. The passage, indeed the book, is about him, first of all. To read it with any other primary interest, which is all too possible, is to misread it. God is the main point of the story of the Bible. If we read the Bible and make it primarily about us and what we should do, we miss it. We miss it because the Bible is primarily about God and what he's done and who he is. I, I have to wonder if this is part of why sometimes when we come to the Bible, we find it boring. I feel that way at times, to be honest. Like, I, I would guess you do too. There are times you open it and say, like, oh, this is kind of boring actually, right? Or, or I just got to check it off my list and do it. Like, I wonder if part of why that is is because we come to the Bible in a wrong way, just approaching it as an instruction manual that teaches us how we should live. And, and don't get me wrong, the Bible is full of instructions, but they're found in the midst of a big story, a big story that is ultimately about God, that's meant to leave us saying, wow, look at him. See what he's done. See who he is. See how great he is. Like wh- when you and I read the Bible, maybe it's in the morning if you pick it up, The goal is not ultimately that I might find some good advice for how I go about my day. The goal is for me to see God and how awesome he is and to have that transform every part of my day. Just as the story of creation is meant to leave us saying, wow, look at how great God is. He speaks everything into existence and orders it just how he wants it to be. Look at him. So the entire story of the Bible is over and over and over again meant to say, look at how great God is. He splits a sea in half so people can walk through it. He he kills a giant that no one else could kill. He, He delivers people from lion's dens, from fire that should burn them. 
He, he carries his children through the wilderness for 40 years when they should have died over and over and over again. He talks to a storm and it listens like a little dog. He takes five loaves and two fish and he feeds 5,000 people. Like the Bible is just full of over and over helping us to see, look at God, look at God, look at God. It's covered with God. The pages are full of God. It's all about God. And so when you come to the Bible, that, that is what is our primary goal, to know him and to see how great he is because the story is all about him from start to finish, which then should lead us to say God should be the main point of our lives as well. We have a tendency in life to make things all about us, right? Like the, the older you get, here's what I would guess, the more you realize how self-centered you can be. Maybe that's just me, but I would guess it's true for all of us. That, that we have a tendency to take things and say, well, how does this affect me? What's in it for me? Do people see me? What? Woe is me. But here's what we're called back to over and over again, what we find from the very start. We're not the main point. God is. God does not exist for us. We exist for him. Don't, don't get me wrong there. He doesn't need us but he doesn't exist so that we can tell him how to order our lives as we see fit. God is not the subject in my story. I am the subject in, in his story. I mean, think, think about this. This means ultimately your friendships are not about you. They're not. They're about God and how he wants to work in your life and use you in the midst of those things, what he's doing. Your, your marriage, it's not about you. It's not about how fulfilling it is. It's not about if your spouse does, like it's about God and what he's doing and how he's at work. Your kids, they're not about you. They're about God. And parenting is ultimately about God. Your job, it's not about you. It's about God. Your, your bank account, it's not about it's everything. It's not about me. It's about him. And, and that can sound like bad news at first, but it's really good news. Because when we make life about ourselves, we tend to make a mess of everything. We tend to screw up every scene that we're a part of. We, we tend to get frustrated and, and our relationships start to fall apart. Uh, one of my favorite TV shows, I don't know if I'm supposed to admit this or not, is The, the Office. I think I've said that before. And, and in The Office, there's this one scene uh, where one of the characters, Michael Scott, is going to improv class. Uh, he likes to do improv. That's one of his hobbies. And what you find as they show this story of him at improv class is he's never content to simply be a side role. He has to be the main role of every single scene. And so you see him in the midst of every single improv scene, he busts into with a pretend gun and he takes out everyone else because he wants to be the main point over and over and over again. And what you see is every single scene just ends up falling apart. Everyone else gets miserable. It all gets screwed up because he wants to over and over and over again be the main point. In, in some ways, that, that's the whole storyline of The Office is Michael Scott wants to be the main point and everything else gets messed up along the way. So often that can be what the story of our lives end up looking like when we determine I want to be the main point. When we determine I want to be the main point, we start to get angry because other people don't see that I'm the main point. It's because I'm not. God is. Or, or we start to get anxious, feeling like everything's going to fall apart and I, and I just can't bear the weight of being the main point. It's, it's because you're not and I'm not. God is. 
But when we orient our lives around the fact that God is the main point and we are here to glorify him and love him and trust him, well, well then everything else in our lives starts to work better because we get out of the way and rather God starts to work in and through us in the midst of those things. The, the story of creation is all about him. The story of the Bible is all about him. And the story of your life and my life is meant to be all about him. But, but here's the problem we, we come back to. We, we have to recognize, every single one of us, that, that we do try to be the author in our lives. Like, we, we try to write our own stories in some ways, or at least try to write some part of it. So I, I want to write this part. I don't want God to. Or, or we try to be the director. We say, I'll, I'll tell myself how I should live. God's not going to. And in fact, I'll actually tell God what he should do as well, because I think I know better than him. And we try to be the main point. I want it to be about me. I want people to see me. I want people to approve me. I want people to know me. Right? We, we do. Over and over. Or another way to put that is that we sin against the creator who has made us. And that could have been the end of the story right there. Could have been the end of the story. Story over. Didn't work out. Sorry. You had your chance. But what we find instead is that from the very start, God had a plan to write himself into the story. That, that God writes himself into the story. Because the same wording we find in Genesis 1.1 is the exact wording that we find where else? In John 1.1, where it says, in the beginning was the word. Is he talking about there? Jesus. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. We believe the one who spoke the world into existence is the one who then walked among us as a man. That's crazy. That's incredible. That's the story the Bible tells us. And then we, we get the same thing in Colossians 1, 15 through 16, where it says he, talking about Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation, which just means he, he rules over it all. For by him, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. See, the, the author writes himself into the story. God writes himself into the story. There's an author by the name of Clive Cussler. Maybe some of you have heard of his books or read his books. Uh, he's written a ton of books. I don't know how many. But he writes different, uh, different novel series. And in one of his series, uh, it surrounds this character named Dirk Pitt. Uh, and Dirk Pitt gets into all kinds of kind of trouble. He's like the seafaring adventurer that gets into espionage and he has to figure stuff out. And, and what's interesting, it, it, I mean, that's the, the theme of a lot of different novels. But what's interesting about these is that in the midst of them, there's a character that shows up by the name of Clive Cussler. And it's this older gentleman who, who shows up and offers help or equipment or advice to, to ultimately help Dirk Pitt out of some difficult thing. That Clive writes this character and, and then writes himself into the story ultimately to help this character out of whatever trouble he may be facing. In the Bible, we come face to face with the God who writes everything into existence and then writes himself into the story as a man. And, and, and not to offer us some advice, not to offer us just a little help, some equipment, but to offer himself for us so that we might be saved 
reconciled back to him so that we might become a new creation so that our story might be rewritten with him as the author and director and the main point of our lives. I love what Sally Lloyd-Jones says in the Jesus Storybook Bible. She says, where I heard this first part, the Bible isn't mainly about me and what I should be doing. It's about God and what he has done. The Bible is most of all a story, the story of how God loves his children and comes to rescue them. That in spite of everything, no matter what, whatever it cost him, God won't ever stop loving his children with a wonderful, never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever love. That's the story of the Bible, and that's meant to be the story of your life as well. That if you're someone who's not a follower of Christ, that, that if you're someone here this morning who writes, and I have sinned against my creator, I have rejected him, I've tried to be my own author, my own director, the main point, God invites you through Christ back to himself into a story that will be about his unfailing, unbreaking, never giving up love. And if you are a follower of Christ, this is ultimately your story. That in the end, when it's all written, it won't be about how great you were or I was. It will be about how great God was, how amazing his grace is, and how his never failing, never stopping, never giving up love directed us every step of the way. I I just want to ask as we wrap up this morning, where are you feeling lost or stuck in your life? Where are you feeling adrift in your life? Go back to the bigger story that God has written and remember you have value, meaning, and purpose because of him. Where do you need to be reminded that the same God who created this world is the God who is active, present with you every moment of your life? Go back to the beginning and remember who this God is and what he's done and remember what he's doing even right now. Where do you need to be reminded that it's not about you? It's not about you, but it's about this God who spoke the world into existence and then came into this world to demonstrate his never failing, never giving up on breaking forever love. Like I hope the fact that that's your story and my story is a source of comfort. Because I would guess there are people in here who feel like their life and their story is going exactly how you want right now. But I would guess there are more people who feel like there are parts of it that really aren't going well. And then there are some people who are feeling like everything is falling apart. It's all flying apart. And to be brought back to, okay, but the one who is writing my story, who has it all under control, who rules over it, who's the author and the director and the main point, is a God of never failing, never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, and always forever love for you. See, I I would say when we get the beginning of the story straight, we we get the perspective on our lives straight, and we start to get our stories straight as well. Let's pray. Father, we, we want to worship you. God, we, we confess that, that so often we, we do forget, we do ignore, we, we do dismiss that our lives are ultimately about you. But God, we, we want to again and again be brought back to the fact that it's all about you. God, we, we pray that, that like, like the fog this morning that you lift away, that day by day you would lift away the fog to help us see how great you are 
how wonderful you are, how good you are, how, how great the deeds are that you've done in, in the Bible, but also in our lives, that over and over again, we'd be able to say, look at God, look at how great he is. This is my God, the one who's made me and knows me. God, God I pray that, that you would be the one who's at the center of our stories, that more and more we'd be able to see you, know you, and make our lives all about you. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.